Hello and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I'm your host, Leah Pilconis. There's been a lot of focus in the construction industry on how artificial intelligence can help speed up the review of contracts and other documents, such as insurance policies. On today's show, we're going to talk about a software platform designed specifically for the construction industry called Document Crunch. Document Crunch uses AI and machine learning to identify and extract language from contracts and insurance policies. The company's founders are construction lawyers who train the system to review construction contracts and insurance policies to find the same provisions and issues that they look for when reviewing these documents for their own companies and clients. With us today is Josh Levy, co-founder of Document Crunch. It's also my pleasure to welcome Paul James, Senior Vice President for Risk Management and General Counsel at Bond Brothers. Paul is on deck to share his experiences using this AI-powered software to reduce contract risk. My third guest on today's show is Brian Proberg, who serves as Executive Director and Senior Counsel for Consensus Docs. Brian's here to tell you about a newly announced strategic venture between Document Crunch and Consensus Docs that he hopes will help industry take a more balanced approach to contract terms. Josh, Paul, and Brian, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here with us today. I want to start off by inviting you each to just say a quick hello, tell us a little bit about what you do and who you work with. Josh, let's start with you. Thanks again for having me, Leah. So yes, I'm Josh Levy. I'm a co-founder of the construction technology startup Document Crunch. Um, Document Crunch has been in business officially for about 15 months, unofficially for a little over two years. In addition to Document Crunch, I've spent uh, most of my career as a, as a lawyer, and an executive in the construction industry. So I uh, started out in private practice, uh, representing contractors and developers and various construction matters, first in litigation and then in some transactional work, and then transitioned to a couple of in-house roles for big blue chip builders as well. Great, thank you. Welcome, Josh. Paul? Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. I'm Paul James. I'm with, uh, as Leah said, Bond Brothers. We are a 114-year-old uh, construction firm uh, headquartered in the Boston area in uh, Massachusetts with operations throughout the Northeast US. Uh, I spent 26 years as a partner at Holland and Knight before I came in-house with Bond, which was a big client of mine, almost seven years now. So uh, my role at Bond is pretty wide ranging. Uh, in addition to being a member of the senior leadership team and our boards, um, I'm responsible for our risk management and our legal affairs. We have operations, as I mentioned, throughout the Northeast United States. We have three operating subsidiaries, one in the building sector, one in the power and energy and utility sector, and one in the mechanical construction sector. So we come at uh, the construction market from a couple of different vantage points, which makes my job both challenging and a lot of fun. So nice to be with you all. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Paul. Brian? Thanks for having me. It's great to be back on Constructor Cast. Uh, so I have, I would say that my primary role is I've been a evangelist for a better mousetrap for construction contracts. Uh, standard construction contract documents play a big role in the construction industry, and I was the original staff person with the concept and have started with a coalition of 20 organizations, including AGC. We have grown to 40 organizations of trying to create 
best practice standard construction contracts that provides a better foundation for you to start your contract negotiations. And we're always looking for ways to, to make the industry better. And we are excited about working and integrating with artificial intelligence in contract negotiations so we can help move things further along. And in my role, I'm the chief spokesperson, I'm the lead staff person working with a lot of amazing industry volunteers in creating the best practice contract documents. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Glad to have you. Josh, my first question is for you. I want to kind of pick your brain a little bit and understand a little more about the origins of your vision to use artificial intelligence technology for contracts, and more specifically, the fact that you've trained software to read construction contracts and insurance policies. And maybe in kind of explaining where all this came from, you might want to share a little bit more about your background and just how you got where you are. To me, the technology is something I'm sure we'll get into later today, but I, I always like to start with the problem and, and the inspiration for, for what ultimately led to, to document crunches is launched. So I had a small problem and then realized that the industry had an even bigger problem. So I guess my transition from private practice into an in-house role and ultimately rose up in the ranks of a legal department and found myself running uh, the legal department for a regional business of a, of a large contractor where I became pretty just overwhelmed with the velocity of all the bidding that was going on. You know, contractors sometimes bid a lot more work than they win. And in a lot of cases, when you're submitting bids, you need to qualify those bids or understand the risk profile and the contracts. I started seeing that I was being asked over and over again to qualify or look at the exact same issues, but I had a lot of contracts to put eyes on, on the bidding process. Then I'd pick up that same contract again when, I, when we'd be awarded the contract and I'd be negotiating uh, the contract um, and, and, and have to look at the same terms that I was worried about when qualifying. And, and then perhaps, you know, what became a really big suck on, on time for me was inevitably after we bid the job, then we got awarded the job. Inevitably, six, seven, eight months later, I'd have a project manager kind of coming in my office, knocking on the door a little bit sheepishly and saying to me, um, Josh, something happened on the project today. What does our contract say? What does our contract say? What does our contract say? And I felt like Siri for contracts. Um, I was constantly giving similar advice to similar people on the very same issues that I had worried about when I was bidding the job, then when I was negotiating the job, same stakeholders, and it was happening time and time again. But I started thinking about the massive problem that our construction industry actually has when it comes to understanding these contract document risks and other project risks. And but what I was seeing was the industry taking a very inefficient approach to managing these risks. So I really break it down, Leah, to two classes of, 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 of people or, or entities in the industry. There's the over-investors in trying to manage these risks, and that, that would be like the equivalent of what I was doing in my role. So these are those large construction companies that invest substantial overhead resources to hire guys like Paul or guys like me to sit you know, in-house full-time and help manage these risks or building out legal departments or building out risk management departments. That's a good approach. It certainly is a robust approach, but we're working in an industry where profits aren't exactly going up. In fact, they're going the other way, and I'm sure everyone's well aware of that. Productivity is actually has stayed flat, if not gotten worse in the industry. So superficially, adding corporate resources overhead 
to that, that can only scale as the business scales isn't exactly the most accepted approach for scaling construction companies right now. Everyone's very sensitive to that. I would say that probably bigger, more deep-seated issue with regard to over-investing in contract risk, and I'd love to hear Paul's opinion on this as well, but the bigger issue is when you have these subject matter experts like myself or Paul sitting kind of in the C-suite or the executive function of these organizations, there becomes an inefficiency of transferring that subject matter expertise out to the people in the field that need it day to day. And I always used to say, you know, the best day that the company ever would have in court is actually in the project trailer where project managers are accountable for the contract, understand their deal and can effectuate, you know, successful outcomes at the project level. Well, when you hire a bunch of people to sit there and be those subject matter experts, the company becomes dependent on going to those subject matter experts for everything and you lose that accountability, you lose that nimble decision-making, you get back to the situation I was describing before where you have project managers that can't do much without coming into guys like my office and saying, what do we do? What do we do? So those are the over-investors. And, 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 and I saw a gap there, but I thought actually the deeper, or, or I should say more urgent problem was all the under-investors that I'd actually observed in my time you know, in this industry which are all those small to mid-cap construction companies, whether it's general contractors, subcontractors, whatever it may be, that don't, that don't have the overhead function or can't afford to make the overhead investment to hire guys like me to sit there in-house or someone like an outside lawyer that may charge hundreds of dollars an hour to review every piece of paper that comes across their desk. They're taking on risks and they may not even appreciate the risk that they're taking on. And those folks, are doing that because they just don't see a better option, right? They can't afford to become an, an, an over-investor. And so those are really the two gaps in the market that I saw and that inspired me because our industry's got a culture of shoving terms down the other party's throat. So owners probably are coming to Paul and saying, well, all your peers are accepting these terms. Why wouldn't you accept it? And in large part, that's being driven by the under-investors that are taking on those risks. So even when Paul recognizes that those are big risks and that they may not be acceptable, he's getting business pressure to probably accept those risks. So that's kind of the big problem, the over-investor versus under-investor dynamic. And I just think it puts the industry in an impossible predicament. We thought that there could be a third option there, which was to introduce a more affordable way to get a lot of the assurances that maybe the over-investors were getting, to empower the industry to do more with less, to empower you know, the, the non-traditional subject matter expertise to finally be able to tackle and be accountable to this process, which was super intimidating or has been super intimidating to them really for in my entire career. Josh, I love your passion. And it was really a great lead up to what you have seen, what you continue to see and just why, why you really feel AI technology offers a solution. And I want to turn to Paul and ask, Paul, are you seeing the same things? Can you share your experiences? Do you agree with what, what Josh just shared and what else would you like to add? Yes. What he said for sure. Um, (laughs) So I, I think that the problem is growing. I think that um, there's a couple of angles here. So I'll just give you the perspective of a longtime construction lawyer in my 33rd year of construction law practice. As I said, I spent uh, 26 years at a large law firm running an industry-focused practice where I represented general contractors and construction managers as my my primary call of duty. So I was one of those people that when the under-investors couldn't stand it anymore, they called me for a, 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 a consult, and it was often 
too late in the game and I could not add the value that I think I do add now in-house. And I certainly recognize having seen all kinds of sizes of contractors throughout various markets in my career, um, you know, kind of fit each of the examples that Josh is talking about. I, I think that the industry, uh, to Josh's point, is reckoning with certainly the trend of increasingly narrow margins, uh, increasingly robust competition, and very complex and often very significant risk allocations um, trending toward the owner or the top of the construction food chain and away from our ability to kind of manage those risks well at the prime level and then flow those risks down to the sub-level. I think our job has gotten more complex in the last decade, for sure, uh, for various reasons. Um, and the other dynamic here that I can just lend a little bit of insight is I'm alone in-house with a mid-sized construction firm with a fairly robust operation through 15 states. Um, it's not easy for me to lay eyes on everything I need to lay eyes on. And so uh, being able to supplement uh, our in-house process with a tool that really um, is quite reliable, quite efficient, and quite accurate to advance our process in a way that we really couldn't, you know, strictly speaking with uh, my role and those that help support me. Our culture emphasizes the importance of our operations teams understanding what the contract says and how to implement the contract, live with the contract, and manage the contract. Uh, and we we found a very large gap in not only the knowledge base, uh, but somewhat the ability base of uh, a, you know, a construction professional, project manager, a project executive, a vice president of operations. Very qualified people, very smart people, but they really are not fully equipped to digest a, a complex construction agreement on their own. I have a limited ability to do that for them. And uh, anything that helps accelerate that process is certainly quite better. But the sheer notion that a software product could, you know, kind of accelerate our process in a reliable way and really emphasize the collaboration that we have with our, our, our operations teams was really quite attractive. Um, I'm a regular participant in the AGC Nationals in-house counsel group, and this topic came up a few years ago, and I think many of us out of the 50 or so sitting in the room thought we were talking about like Star Trek or something. How possibly could a software product guide a you know knowledgeable construction person uh, or attorney or whomever, um, and how is this all going to work? And uh, there were other technologies out there that we saw that weren't construction industry specific, and I do think that that's one of the linchpins of this document crunch approach. Industry-specific approach, I think, really did scratch a very large itch. Whether you're a big contractor with in-house lawyers, whether you're a small contractor without in-house lawyers, whether you're somewhere in between, I think this technology offers you something. Uh, and we certainly have found that to be the case. Thanks for sharing that, Paul. In just a minute, we're, we're going to get into detail a little bit more on what is AI and, and explain uh, Document Crunch, how it works. And as I mentioned at the beginning, the strategic venture and relationship between Document Crunch and Consensus Docs. But Brian, I want to turn to you and just ask you to kind of weigh in and add your two cents on all of this as the executive director and, and senior counsel for Consensus Docs. Thanks. And I think back to a quote from Doug Cruitt, who was the CEO of Sunt, uh, a major general contractor who does all types of work in the West and throughout the country. And he was AGC president. And he said repeatedly, the way we design and build in this country is broken and needs to be fixed. 
And when I ask people when speaking across the country, are you happy with your contract? You know, raise your hand, basically. And it's nobody raises their hands. And remember, it's it's the first collaborative act that you do. And when we think about how we procure designing construction in this country, something that's always resonated with me is when an owner selects a design professional, sometimes it's illegal to consider price and they can only consider qualifications in selecting their trusted design professional. But when they go to build, it's sometimes and often illegal to consider qualifications and only select upon price. And so you see that our profession, it's become a bit of a race to the bottom. We are seen sometimes erroneously as a fungible good and you can select any contractor. And part of that is the risk profile that you take on a project. When I say it's a race to the bottom, it's because people may not understand the risk or they don't price the risk. And why would you, why would an owner, if they can get the high risk profile at the same price, why wouldn't they try to shove down the risk? Well, they shouldn't because what happens is it creates an imbalance, it creates a bad foundation, and then what happens? We have claims, we have litigation, we have unhappy owners. Uh, there's a great expression about our industry is that many people on a project in the industry, they come together as strangers and leave as enemies. We have got to fix that. And part of the way of doing that is creating the foundation. And I feel really strongly that contracts, is it, it's, it's a memorialization of a business relationship. And there is just too much gamemanship. And even the way we write standard contracts, it's usually from a narrow perspective and it's to try to advance one segment over the other. And it doesn't work. We have the statistics and I'm really interested in changing that dynamic. And there are tools out there and we need to get smarter on it. And so now we talked about the problem, Leah, and that is now the, 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 the perfect segue into the technology. Because of technology, the barriers have never been lower for the industry to level up, to better understand this. And that's what this is about. Thank you for that transition, Josh, into the tech and does it provide a solution? Josh, I want to talk with you about this a little bit. I, I think it's fair to say that skepticism about construction AI technology remains pretty high despite all the buzz that you read in the news. Few understand how the technology works and fewer are prepared to believe that it's really ready to go, you know, out there um, to purchase. So how is it that this, this software that um, we're about to really dive into, Document Crunch, how is it that it, quote unquote, knows how to identify uh, and extract relevant terms, uh, relevant items, the, the way a lawyer, a risk manager, or an ex a savvy executive would? Can, can you really get into some of the details here and, and tell us how, how does Document Crunch work? Absolutely. The way that this works is there's there's a lot of application now around artificial intelligence and more particularly machine learning. So what machine learning does is machine learning essentially gets fed examples of, 
of uh, language and starts to find commonalities around that language and the ability to classify that language. So I, I led a team of, of construction attorneys and other professionals over, over the course of about 15 months. We're still actually every day uh, updating and making it better and smarter. But essentially what I did is I deployed machine learning to look for the types of issues that I, my experience with my background would look for if I was reviewing a construction contract, an insurance policy, a non-disclosure agreement, a commercial lease agreement, whatever it is. I mean, we really specialize in construction products. And I created through machine learning algorithms around what those types of issues are. And so once those algorithms are set, now our software has the ability to quickly identify that language in a document much faster than I would identify it um, if I were reviewing the document or if Paul was reviewing the document. And again, it, it's not that it's necessarily perfect, but these algorithms have been used or created using the what, what's widely regarded as best-in-class machine learning standards. The idea now is that instead of having a human have to put eyes on every single line in a contract, this does this much faster than humans can do it. And I would argue uh, probably as accurately, if not more accurately, especially when you're considering the time that goes into it. Let me just also put one more button around it. So what does this do? This does two very important things, which I believe guys like Paul and I get asked every single day. This does one, it tells the end user what the critical issues are in the document that they're looking at as curated by people like me and other insurance professionals and other industry execs and professionals. So it's based on a collaborative idea and the algorithms have been built around a collaboration among you know, founders with subject matter expertise and then you know, other industry leaders as well kind of weighing in. I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. So a user is actually going to upload their document into the system. I want clarification on that. And then when you um, continue, can you just actually mention some of the specific provisions so people really kind of understand exactly what you're talking about, like things that it would spot? Absolutely. And we have off-the-shelf solutions, and then we have highly customized solutions. And Paul alluded to that as well. Bob Brothers is using this on a more customized basis. But in our just basic off-the-shelf construction contract review product, any user out there can upload a contract into our software. It's a web-based software. And we will immediately apply over 40 algorithms to that document and find things on the business side, like contingency provisions, how completion is defined, who the designated representative is under the contract, what are the notice requirements. Then on the more kind of legal technical side, we'll find things like, is there a waiver of subrogation? Where is the waiver of consequential damages? Uh, are there, is there subsurface conditions risks, et cetera? And then kind of on the insurance side, you know, what are the insurance coverages? Who's required to be named as an insured? So all of the business legal risk management stuff that people like Paul, myself, and Brian spend a lot of time thinking about, we find what I would say is just about all of it. And then part two, it tells you why you should care. That's exactly right. So two, two primary things that we do. Josh, what does my contract say that I need to know about? Well, it finds all those issues. We just talked about that. Josh, okay, you told me what all the critical issues are, but why do I care? Why does this matter to me? That goes back to, can Paul really be there every single day to tell every single person why this is important? And by the way, Paul's likely having duplicative discussions because these issues are by and large duplicative across every project. 
we in an interactive interface, so first you flag the provision, you highlight the provision, you tell the user what that provision is, and in an interactive interface, we can do one of two things. We can tell the user why that issue is generally considered important in a construction contract, or in the more customized use cases, we'll customize it so that the user can tell the end user what the policies and the procedures and the workflows are around that. Here's Paul's preferred clause. If you can't get this clause inserted, it must have an executive approve it before you, know, you sign the contract. In the case of consensus docs, and in, this, in the spirit of leveling up the entire industry, we now, consensus docs, part of our partnership is consensus docs language is now sitting there as industry standard language so that when you're looking at the waiver of consequential damages clause, you can now compare it to what consensus docs, what Brian and his coalition have come up with is a pretty fair waiver of consequential damages. And that by answering what the critical provisions are and answering why those provisions matter and providing some of that context, right? This is why it's important. This is some preferred language, whatever it is. We believe it's my thesis that you are greatly empowering the entire industry now to essentially do more with less, make better business decisions, better administrate their projects without having to overly rely on all those traditional resources that they would normally have to rely upon. And that's filling that gap that we were talking about before. So that's basically very simply what this solution does. Great, thank you, Josh. Brian, I imagine that that sample language provision, or I guess for lack of a better word, column that pops up um, showing the consensus doc language, I imagine that's a really powerful tool. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, thank you. So it's sort of the third leg of it is, how do I fix it? Mm -hmm. What should I do? What is the solution? There's not a one size fits all approach. But when folks look at consensus docs, it's a balancing of interests. One of the things that's really essential to our coalition is it's not one segment of the industry. We have the largest owner organizations involved in the coalition. We have the largest general contractor organization and many, many uh, uh, subcontractor groups. It's a balancing of risk. So when you're looking at the indemnification provision, Document Crunch will help you realize that it's not just in Section 6.6. .6, it's also mentioned in three other places that could probably totally change your risk allocation profile, right? So you know where indemnification is, not just the main section. Then it'll tell you, oh my gosh, that's a big deal. But how do you fix it? Well, it really helps if you can use and point to an industry standard that has consensus from not just one segment of the industry, but from multiple tiers. It's something the owners see as valuable and it's a sophisticated, um, flexible approach. And then the only thing I would say is we'll give you sample language and that works well in sections. Thank you, Brian. Paul. I want to spend a little time talking with you about your experiences using Document Crunch. As Senior Vice President for Risk Management and General Counsel for Bond Brothers, has this tool worked for you? Can you walk us through how has it helped you? Sure. Uh, yes, and it's been um, a welcomed, innovative, and frankly, uh, surprising and meaningful part of our world now. So I'll tell you a little bit about how we use the product. Um, and I appreciate uh, you know, the perspective that both Brian and Josh bring here. And I, I'll just say that adding largely recognized as balanced 
suggested language into the platform is a very powerful addition. I think that collaboration is really going to be very, very helpful to people. So I'm glad to hear that. I met uh, uh, Josh and um, his co-founder, Adam, um, you know, some, some time ago, actually through AGC, uh, at the AGC meeting, and it was a, a really good um, introduction to them and their concept. And um, as I mentioned, the AGC in-house group had been speaking about the possibility of a software solution to kind of assist us. Now, to Josh's point, no one ever thought that software is going to replace what construction lawyers and construction executives do and construction risk managers do, but we all needed help and we all recognized we were overmatched with the challenges for various reasons. I did share with them kind of a checklist, if you will, of the uh, kind of a master issue spotting checklist that I had generated with some conversations with other software developers over time because there were other products out there, but they weren't construction specific. And I did find um, a very large gap in fundamental conceptual understanding of construction language and terminology. And that was a real challenge with some of these other products. They could run commercial agreements to a really good you know, synthesis place, but they really were, in my view, not wholly answering the challenge for construction related documents. So in any event, just sharing my kind of laundry list of things that I always look for against the template that um, Josh and Adam came, uh, came up with, it was astounding. I mean, it was, it was equivalent, it was comparable, it was right on the mark. So I knew right away that their concept was extremely accurate and um, really addressed the major points that folks like uh, you know, me and others that do what we do, what, what we're looking for. That was a revelation that was very helpful. The off-the-shelf product is extremely useful. It, as you mentioned, you 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 take virtually any format you have, whether it's Word, PDF, or whatever, you upload it very easily into the platform. The platform does this magic where it creates a search result-oriented PDF file, all highlighted by issue, correlated to both the table of contents and bookmarks that are subject matter specific. Well, if you wanted to know where all your notice provisions were or your all your claim provisions were, or where indemnity is mentioned, it, it literally produces uh, not only the search results in the document, but it correlates back to a summary index, which is extremely useful and really accelerates your ability to get through a lengthy document. The one thing we haven't talked about yet is length, right? The construction industry, for whatever reason, seems to have embraced this enormously dense, lengthy view of what construction agreements should look like. And it is routine that these things are 100 plus pages, right? Between front end agreements, general conditions, special conditions, and that kind of thing. Uh, we're talking a lot of time and effort to go find all of this. And the fact is the document crunch accelerates your ability to find what you would normally be looking for anyway, in it's kind of off the shelf you know, way. So we started using it in that fashion. As I explained um, uh, to Josh and his team, we are a culture that emphasizes uh, the operation leads and the executive leads, uh, emphasizes um, uh, the reality that they own the project, therefore they own the contract and have to manage that contract. And while I can help them and collaborate um, with them and assist them, I cannot live in their world and direct them every, every minute, right? So long ago, we decided as a culture, and it's one of the reasons you know we, I'm the only one who's a, a lawyer in-house, I have other people that help me with my function. Um, we required our project teams to deliver um, a checklist to us when they send us contracts so that they would do kind of a pre-screening, certainly identifying all the major business issues, which we wouldn't know about, right? Who's the client? Why are they important? We ever worked with them before? Who's the designer? 
what kind of project is this? What literally is the size, scope, and schedule? Just so we know going in what the context is. That's very helpful. But we also want them to answer, uh, here's our standard list of things we care about. Here are the standards we seek to achieve. What does the contract do? Measured up against those two things. Um, and I will tell you, after you know many, many years of this, the results are all over the map. There's a huge variation, peaks and valleys of ability and um, willingness, frankly, and time to really dive into a contract to the point where I could take their work product and utilize that as the primary means of a guide through that contract. Uh, while it's a great concept, in practice, it's variable. And it wasn't as reliable as I had hoped. So ultimately, what we did was we took our standard contract review checklist, and we now have it embedded in the, in the uh, document crunch platform. So in addition to the typical table of contents and bookmarking and highlights that document crunch gives us, it also gives us search results allocated to my checklist and all of my prompts, uh, both to location and to our recommended or standard approach regarding that. It also allows us to go in the platform and answer those prompts inside document crunch so that we have kind of a working document and working guide, if you will. And that has really, really helped us. What primarily it has uh, done for us is rather than me creating all of those search results and all of those comments, I can delegate more. So I have a risk and contract manager that works with me that some of you know, and I can spend a third of the time, let's say, or maybe even less with my contract manager going through those search results and deciding how we're going to react to the results and to the language that we've seen. So it's been pretty powerful, not just to use the product for what it was intended for, which is quite useful, and to Josh's point, quite accurate, uh, amongst, I would uh, tell you, all kinds of language. We deal with energy and power contracts. We deal with typical vertical building contracts. We deal with highly specialized um, uh, specialty type contracts, and it, it, it yields an accuracy and a reliability across all of those fronts, which is which is really terrific. Um, but it also allows me to see more and to do more, quite frankly. Um, and that is an accelerator. I, I think that bridging the knowledge gap is a really good way to describe this. Um, I wasn't getting the content that I would have hoped for from the humans because they, you know, as I said, peaks, valleys, willingness, ability, the whole nine yards. But I have a consistent very reliable search results in the format that I would normally expect to see. And that just greatly helps me figure out what's important to us and where we land on our um, on our aspirations for you know negotiation and other things. The other thing hasn't been mentioned yet is really important to me, which is we use document crunch as part of our archival process. Whenever I touch an agreement to review it, to comment on it, to negotiate it, to revise it, the uh, end product it ends up in what we call a contract library by project and by business. So we maintain a, um, uh, a record. We call ourselves sort of librarians. Obviously, the project teams keep all of their documents in their project files. But as a company, we keep a publicly accessible um, archival library of all of the agreements we've ever done. Uh, and in prior times, once my checklist was fully completed at bid or proposal, uh, time, it needed to be updated at project startup time. So it would reflect the final terms and conditions that were negotiated. And we would give it to the project team as a roadmap. Here's your contract and here's a checklist that will guide you when, for example, you have an unforeseen condition or you run across unknown hazardous material. What does the contract say in terms of what you own? How do you communicate 
your, uh, and preserve your rights through notice and claim submissions and otherwise. That was the intention of our process. Uh, and again, you know, it worked relatively well, but peaks and valleys depend on, depending upon the, the capability of the teams. We now utilize the document crunch results in our contract library. So the contract teams, when they start a project, are going to have a document that reflects the signed contract that is highlighted by all of the things we care about that has a table of contents and bookmarks that points them to those places. And it has our search result checklist as really the roadmap. So we find it as a really important, Josh mentioned that kind of six months down the road when the project manager comes back and says, I have an issue, all of us universally, <laughs> our first question is what's your contract say, right? And it's a far more productive conversation with the team if they recognize the issue reviewed as best they can the applicable contract language and made some decision about that. We think we're in good shape. We think we're in bad shape. We think this is an urgent matter. We think this is long-term matter, whatever the case. Imagine how much more productive that conversation is if they come to you with at least a decent handle on where to go next. Uh, and we do think that this helps not just at the time that we're reviewing and signing contracts, but later on to preserve that record and to provide, as I say, sort of that roadmap or even you know, sort of cheat sheet to the project team. So we use it in all of those phases and have found it to be useful across those phases. This all has just been incredibly interesting to listen to, very enlightening, and I, and I hope eye-opening for, for everyone that, that is listening to this podcast. Brian, I'd like to hear your thoughts. If, if you have anything else you wanna chime in on just about AI technology and just its likelihood to really disrupt contract negotiations and risk allocations in the future, just in your experience, uh, do you have anything you wanna add? I'll say this, that I've heard a lot of people say that tech, uh, construction is ripe for disrupt, disruption. We're gonna see more change in the next five years than we have seen in the past 50. And this is another example about it. And when I was listening to Paul talk and he talked about being a librarian, here's where I was thinking he might go with that. He's talking about from his project. Here's what I want to tag on to that is when you're negotiating this contract with this individual party for this particular project, you're not getting the benefit of all the experiences out there that we could maybe capture and get smarter for. And, and so maybe your next project we want to learn from what you did in this negotiation, as well as a hundred other people from across the, who are sitting in the same situation. So much of life is we are isolating our experience and we're not getting that data to be smarter. And, and Josh and I have talked about what if we can take this knowledge, how are people learning from their contracts? What are the same provisions that are constantly getting changed? We, we want to make sure that it's not just might makes right. So, okay, we're changing our contracts to have a bad risk allocation, but what can we do so we can collectively get a better understanding of what's market, right? I think people use that term in negotiations. What's acceptable? What can you price risk at? And what is something that you shouldn't be pricing? So my vision is working with document crunch in an anonymous way that we look at thousands of contracts and that we get smarter going forward with a flashlight that is the collective knowledge of not just one negotiation, not just hundreds of negotiations for one big company, but maybe thousands. And maybe we can then have a conversation wrapped around how do we get the best project results? And, and I'm excited about that. 
And this is just the beginning. I think that when we look at artificial intelligence and we have this conversation today, I, I like Document Crunch. I looked at, we're going to provide samples of how consensus docs looks from the standard and how does that compare to other standards perhaps, or the way you, that you're using your off uh, manuscripted contract. But I see other provisions and other, I should say other uses, it's going to be a more integrated holistic way of using artificial intelligence, uh, life cycle management of contracts, making sure that you have accounting integrated. I mean, there's so many things that we have to pull together that we'll look back on this and that we see a lot of value now. And that if you have, if you're an early adopter now, hopefully that puts you in a better, that you get value now, but it puts you in a better position to succeed. Because one of the things that, that I, I think that we're going to see is that with COVID, with the world changing and disruption, if you don't start making those technological embracing uh, changes now, you're going to be left behind and that we're going to see, we're going to see a lot of failures. Um, and so if you don't start now, uh, there may not be a brighter future uh, for tomorrow. And, and that's been different for construction because usually construction is the show me industry and legal is, is based upon precedence of uh, everything that's happened in the past. So uh, I think now is the time to start diving in and getting smarter so you're ready for a better tomorrow. Paul, do you think the construction industry is ready for this? Well, I, I know the construction industry needs it. Let's face it. From a prime contract perspective, as these gentlemen have well explained, there is an imbalancing. There is a challenge out there about risk allocation, and there's only so much pricing and efficiency you can throw at that and unbalanced risk allocation. So anything you can do to level the playing field, to uh, bring uh, some kind of baseline uh, perspective to the conversation is extremely helpful. I, I would welcome, you know, kind of um, the benchmarking um, uh, approach that Brian is talking about. And, and you know, I've used for a long, long time consensus stocks as a good benchmark. I think many people do uh, because that really was its intention. If nothing else, uh, as firefighters, AI technology is helping us find what we need to find and find the, the hottest, the longest burning, the most dangerous. And I think that, you know, to use that overly simplistic analogy, this tool really helps us be, be better firefighters. I also think, you know, I mentioned the archival tool. It's relevant to us what we've done in the past. We do look at our past engagements and negotiations and the record of our documents pretty frequently. And having this tool available to see, you know, what we have in our world, what we've seen before, really accelerates our ability to make a, you know, I think an intelligent, professional and, um, you know, timely response to the challenges we face every day in our contracts. And Paul, I just want to give you a moment to maybe put a finer point on the question of whether or not this tool replaces lawyers. So, no, I don't think so, uh, or even lead executives or even, you know, senior leadership uh, on projects. I think that it's a great tool, as Josh said, to help you find what you need to think about. It's not thinking for you. Every company, every sector of a company is going to have a different risk tolerance and the risk allocations are going to differ deal to deal. So it's unrealistic, frankly, I think, to, 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 to hope that a, a, an automation tool is going to somehow replace your judgment. I don't think it's a judgment replacement. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a marvelously efficient accelerator that gets you to the important stuff faster and in a more meaningful way and in a more productive way 
than simply opening up your screen and hoping you capture everything you need to in the 200 pages that's before you or using you know rudimentary searching techniques um, that we all have done for years now. We've spent most of our time together today talking about the review of contract documents and they're almost always intertwined with accompanying insurance policies, but I just want to connect the dots and kind of close the loop on the fact that Document Crunch also has a tool, uh, as, I, as I said uh, at the beginning, that will review insurance policies. Uh, Josh, just really quickly, because I mentioned it uh, at the start and I want to make sure we don't confuse people, can you just speak to that? Absolutely. So everything we're talking about applies just the same. For anybody who's been lucky enough listening to this podcast to have reviewed an insurance policy, you know how complicated, convoluted, and complex it could be. We're solving the exact same problem for insurance policies. We're demystifying them and making them easy to digest and understand for people that otherwise may not have a PhD in insurance interpretation. And it's the exact same process and, you know, the bigger problem, Leanne, I know we've talked about this a little bit before that we're ultimately moving to solve is this entire industry has been relying on insurance certificates as evidence of compliance because it's too hard to review insurance policies. Well, guess what? It's not that hard to review insurance policies anymore. Document Crunch can be deployed to do exactly what we're talking about. Insurance policies identify the critical issues that, 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 that matter to insurance professionals and then tell the end user why those issues are important so that now the end user has the ability to compare what's in the policy to what's in the contract what's in the policy to what the requirements are and then there's other ancillary uses as well for risk managers you know the insurance policies aren't the only thing they care about there's there's risk items and contracts that risk managers need to know about so you know using a combination of the contract review tool and the insurance policy review tool can be extremely powerful for risk managers and other people that care about insurance coverage, insurance matters, et cetera. Josh, where do folks go to find out more? Um, you can visit us uh, at www.documentcrunch.com. I'm also fairly active on, on LinkedIn and, and, and whatnot, so feel free to you know connect with me. We Brian, how about Consensus Docs? Where do folks go to find out more about that? So consensusdocs.org, we're looking to integrate more. We want it to be maybe not seamless, but easy for users to toggle back and forth using consensus docs and document crunch. Cause I think we, we see some real synergies here and I've really appreciated the working relationship with Josh and Adam and, and trying to figure out how to have some, some synergy between the two efforts. We'll include additional information and these links in the show notes for this episode. So please take a look. I want to thank you guys, Josh, Paul, and Brian for being on the show today. Great to be with you. Thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And to everybody out there, we appreciate you listening. This has been the AGC Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app or stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org slash constructorcast. If you found value in this episode, please leave a rating and review. It helps people discover the show. And don't forget to follow us on social media for more construction-related content. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching Associated General Contractors of America or the handle at AGC of A.